Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. And we're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. I should say Mike McNamara with a cold, but this is McNamara <laughs> on Money. The show must go on or something like that. Maybe that's in the theater and not radio. I don't know. But anyway. It works in both. You my, sound uh, normal. I don't sound <clears throat> very Sometimes different. you sound better when you have a cold. Very sophisticated. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, <laughs> the wise. Well, yeah. There you go. If you're old and have a beard, you got a few things going for you. you know? <laughs> yeah. you anyway, go. in case you haven't figured this out, my uh, business partner, co-host, and darling daughter, Alyssa, is with me this morning, or I'm with her. I'm not sure how you'd like to describe that. But anyway, I can go either way. 33 years of McNamara on money. We're celebrating that today. At least I am for the next five or ten minutes. Who knew? Anyway, you can't change the name of the business. People will never know who we are. I know. We things. did talk about that, what, yeah, ten years did. ago we, we talked did. about that? Yeah, it's good yeah. we didn't. For small businesses. Backbone of America. Plain and simple. <laughs> Folks, we're talking about bad behavior of listeners who are investors in their 401ks or trying to reinforce good behavior for those folks. And I think we got up to the pre-retiree type folks. Did we get, did we get that? Oh, you had some I did. I have some thoughts. Uh, sure. Interrupt anytime. I was thinking about how, well, in our world, you were talking about our perf- the performance reporting that we do and yeah. how important that is to be able to track performance over different periods of time, particularly long periods of time. Gives one perspective. Yeah. But in the the average investor doesn't have access to that. Like their state, their custodial statements, we would call them. So the statement they get from Fidelity for their brokerage account, for example, or something. That that statement, most of them, some four hundred one ks I know do have some performance information, but most statements don't have any performance information, especially not long-term performance information. And from what I've seen, like I was just actually trying to log into our 401k to see, because I know there's some performance information there. We use paychecks for our 401k. Um, But I think it's very short-term. I think it's like year-to-date and that's it. There's no ability to get any long-term performance information. The custodians are these financial institutions that hold money for people. That's not their job. They don't track that. They don't report on that. At least right now, at least the majority of them. So I was thinking about how that can lead to how that is lack of that information or perhaps being exposed to short-term performance information or none at all. And lack of long-term performance information is definitely a factor when it comes to bad behavior. Disadvantage. People don't, sometimes people can remember what an account, the value that it started at. Like, for example, if someone has $100,000 and they invest it, that's easy, but that's not the normal I, I'm doing way good that or I'm doing account, bad. That's all I can say. Accounts yeah. usually start with just a small contribution and then another contribution and then another contribution. And of course, that's something that we can report on yeah. and show them, you know, 
what we would call capital in or how much did you put in and how much is it worth now, even though it might be down in value. And, and how are you doing? What's your return? And we can give perspective to that. After but most, you paid us. Yes, Most indeed. people don't know what their, what was my, how much have I put into my 401k? Right. What was my capital yeah. in? And then they would have perspective regarding how it's doing, yeah. even though it might be down 15 or 20%. Yeah. And, and have people thought about the reasons for why that is, by the way? So in, because there's that lack of performance information and perspective, people are just, you've always said this, people will always remember the highest value they ever see in their investment account. And they feel like that should always be the value. I got over that million and it's it gone back. Always should be that much yeah. or more. Yeah. And people get very uncomfortable when they don't see that high value anymore, but they don't have readily available that perspective. Yeah. But and it really they took start out hundred grand in income all, yeah. along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So. See, and that's the point. See, people have no knowledge about actually how their money has done. Okay. And and that's they have a, no perspective what they're and, lacking. And, and, yeah. Exactly. And it's that's scary because how do you plan? What have you earned in your money? Duh. Yeah. And they don't even, you're right. They don't even yeah. know what they started with. They don't know how much they took out, whatever. Yeah, that's, folks, there, there's a, you know, that's information you should be in possession of, okay, when you make investment decisions. No, not the way it works for... Especially the longer-term performance. Yeah. I think the short-term performance is somewhat readily available, especially to 401k investors. That's yeah. yeah. reported on their yeah. login. Or yeah. you can see, but I don't know that I've ever seen a like a long-term... Like this is your five-year return or this yeah. is your 10-year return. I don't know that I've ever yeah. seen that anywhere. Yeah, newsflash, folks. Short-term performance is irrelevant. Uh, Short-term market movements are absolutely unpredictable and unknown and get used mm. to it, the thing. Yeah, we're talking about perspective here. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I I went back and forth about doing that 25 years ago. And I'm so glad I said we're going to report to people exactly how they're doing down to the decimal point yeah. after they pay us. Yeah. And, and here's why. Here's your return. Here's the stock market. Here's the bond market. Here's how you're doing and here's why. Yeah. That, folks, you, you need that information to decide things about your life. And it's, mm -hmm. it's let's put it this way, it's not overly available in the investment. Yeah, costly to do it. We spend a lot of money on the software that yep. that collects the data so that we can run those yep. performance reports. And But yeah, financial institutions, these custodians that just hold money, they, they don't, yep. at this point anyway, and maybe not many of them anyway, spend the extra money to to report that to investors and because that's not their job. But All right, let's get back to, to pre-retirees and good or bad Behavior. All right. So pre-retirees, that means you actually start thinking or worrying about retirement. Maybe not thinking clearly or in detail, but at least starting to worry about it. And that would mm -hmm. think that would generally people be people in their 50s. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Starting to get older. Yeah, probably not much college. earlier. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, latecomers might be late 50s or early 60s to that world. And that's a little scary if you're a latecomer at that point in time. <laughs> so these, these yeah. are the folks whose kids are hopefully out of college or pretty close, but maybe not. Okay. And hopefully they've thought about retirement. But I tell people, how many t t times have you met folks who haven't had a clear discussion about what's going on in retirement or who's who and what to whom or how many times have we done a financial plan and the wife will say one thing and the husband will say another thing and they look at each other like, Ooh, I didn't know that. No, it's like a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, hundred like percent. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite th thoughts is, oh, listen, some Saturday night, grab a big bottle of Chianti and sit down after dinner and talk about what retirement's going to look like. <laughs> that's where you want to go? So a specific. big bottle of Chianti. <laughs> talk about where you want to go, what you want to do, and what it looks like. Okay, and that's true. Yeah. But anyways, if you're in that pre-retirement, again, we, this is what I had planned to do: is for the first half of the show, do a quick run-through to get people's attention, then dive into some details. But you okay. know what? Maybe we'll stay on. The 
the first half, and do, I'll do a second show on some much more detailed behavior for all of these categories. Okay. okay in terms of cash flow and emergency reserves and a bunch of other things. But anyway, so the, those pre-retirees, those 50-plus folks, let's assume, <coughs> excuse me, let's assume for a moment that their kids are out of college and they don't have any other college obligations and that they're thinking about retirement at, let's not pick the age, let's pick the time. Okay. I, from, I guess from our point of view, we're all certified financial planners. Okay, when you retire, there's a couple of pieces of information we need to know. How far away is retirement? And by the way, upon the date of your retirement, do you need to draw income from your portfolio or not? Those are like the two, two biggest things we need to know about, money managers and things. So I would say let's start with folks who are 10 years away from retiring, maybe a 55-year-old that's 65. What do they look like? Okay. What do you mean? What do they look a- like? Asset allocation. By the way, uh, they've been perhaps invested in stocks, if they should be, up until maybe late 40s, early 50s. And maybe they started trimming down their stock positions. Maybe they didn't. The thing. But if somebody walked in the door with a blank canvas and a X amount of dollars in a 401k, and they had 10 years to go for retirement and they're 55, you know, what, what's an allocation that would be appropriate for them? And again, folks, this is a well, generic allocation. This is a timely conversation, yeah, 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 too, yeah, because they're timely. probably yeah. still all stock and right. they're getting to the point right. where they would want to consider yeah. reducing some exposure. This is probably not a good time to do that. So in that example, I might be okay with them waiting another, wait out this market and give it so another if year were, or two. where would they go to then? And again, this is, um, folks, this is generic and everything depends, but just having some discussions to get you thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, I guess a 75 25, yeah. the next step down yeah. or something, or an 80-20, yeah. something in that range. Yeah. Also, you, you, I find that it's more, it's less common for someone to say, I'm 55, I'm going to retire in 10 years right. at 65. Yeah. It's much more common for them to say, I'm 55, this is how much money I have, when can I retire? Yep. And you solve it for yep. me, which yep. I love doing. That's yep. wonderful. I yep. can solve that for you. Yep. Or at least, Tell you know, attempt and then vacation. we'll revisit it yeah. later. Tell but, me how much you're going to spend on vacations and your kids and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah, So I just, and I don't know if that's always been the case, but it seems to me that much more often than not right now, the question is not, can you help me retire at this age? It's when can I retire? Can you help give me some guidance on that? Yes. Okay. So very generically, the investment book says that you kind of lower your percentage of stocks over time to whenever. My personal and professional opinion is that the vast majority of folks who are listening to the show are under invested in the percentage of stocks they should own. Okay. And that when people's idea of a conservative is mm-hmm. so fuzzy, it's scary, but I, I'm perfectly comfortable with people having higher stock allocations in their retirement than one would generically read in the financial press. So yeah, we, I, we have some folks with 75% stock retirement plans and I'm perfectly comfortable with that for reasons. Maybe we can get into a little bit later on, but yeah. But if you are 100% stocks and you're coming to a downshift and you're in your 50s, pro- probably not a good time to downshift. But who knows? Thing. By, by the way, we're 15% higher than we were last October. If you yeah. Sit, yeah, the market's only down yeah. se- 7 or 8%, yeah. I think, from yeah. its high yeah. last yeah. January. Yeah. I ran yeah. a report last who, this past week. Who knew? Okay, yeah. anyway, but the, I guess <laughs> th- at some point you should get to a maybe a 75% stock portfolio. And in, 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 generically speaking, in my mind, that means you're 7 or 8 years away from retirement, plus or minus. Again, mm-hmm. speaking very generically, not specifically recommending anyway. So that's where you should be, folks. Okay, I think. Okay, 
and I think your contributions cont- continue at that rate, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's hopefully assuming you've got everything else covered in your life, okay? And maybe with the kids out of college, you can do some front-loading, okay? Put some extra money in those contributions to help out. One of the, I said this earlier in the show, I'll say it again. It's much easier to be poor and put 25% of your money away at 25 than it is to have some degree of money at 55 and try to play catch-up to get enough money in that pot because time is yeah. on your side. Because at 55, so you're not front-loading anymore. You're yeah. back-end loading, yeah. and it's harder to do that. Yeah. It's yeah. So because at, you don't have the markets yeah. on your side. Yeah, the, the, the effects of yeah. compounding interest over a long time are Scary or scary if you have a mortgage and wonderful if you have a retirement plan. It depends on how you want to look at it. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. a good point, yeah. All right, all right. So now let's get to the big ones, retirees. And then, by the way, from here, folks, I want to talk about taking income. So if you're okay. a pre-retiree or a retiree, the last half... I didn't make it down halfway of the first page. This is good. This I is know. Good. You were worried about me stepping out to get a coffee. Well, you could I, go on and on. Right, let's put more yeah. fun with you here. I okay. Know. Anyway, so folks, if you're taking income from your portfolio, stay tuned. I got some important stuff to talk about. Okay. That last half an hour of this show. But anyway, okay. all right, presto, we're retired. And by the way, you can be retired and not taking income from your portfolio, or you can be retired and taking income. Right. It depends. Some people work part-time in retirement. Some people saved a bunch of cash and wonder, whatever, but so... Some people live on their fixed income. Not many, but some can do it. Yeah, okay. So anyway, what's an allocation of stocks and bonds for somebody who's retired? Again, obviously the answer is depends, but my my response to that is, okay, I think you ought to, if everything is appropriate, I'm very comfortable with my lowest percentage of stocks in retirement portfolio would be 60%. I'm very comfortable with that. Okay. And when we get to the income part of that, folks, don't get nervous. I'll explain how you can protect yourself against 60% of your money going down 25 or 30%. Okay. Or at least buy time to get through the other side. But anyway, I would say 60% is what I would recommend as a minimum, some people aren't comfortable with that. But with bond performance the last few years, more and more comfortable, more and more people are uncomfortable with a 40% portfolio. We'll see how that goes. 60% is what I would say is appropriate for many and 40% for those people who are very conservative and that may cost you a lot depending on the circumstances. You okay with that? I like to have portfolio diversification for my clients. So I like to layer it. And, And the typical client, especially the typical married couple would have multiple investment accounts. Or retirement for her. Yeah, they might retirement for her, retirement for him. There's a Roth IRA. There's yeah. a non-retirement account. Sometimes they have two trusts because it's a common estate planning tool to yeah. have a couple of yep. trusts in each name. Yep. And so that when I'm working with multiple investment accounts, I like to have portfolio diversification. Yeah. I might have one account. Maybe it's the Roth IRA, and we're still aggressive with that one. I might have one moderate risk retirement account that they could draw from. Sometimes they we position one of the accounts conservatively, and we draw from it more yeah. heavily. Yeah, and you I may have an older, younger married couple, and the younger yep. one may have a braver portfolio Absolutely. later on down yep. the line. And yep. by the way, you may have money, I call it money in the middle, money not in your emergency reserves and money not in an official retirement plan that you can draw on, uh-huh. okay? And that maybe is very conservative and allows you to be a bit braver. So yeah, every answer depends, folks. I'm just trying to uh-huh. get folks to the ballpark here about that sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I've thought about the conservative portfolios a lot the last several years. Sure like have. the 40 stocks, 60 yeah. bonds. And those people had a certain comfort level with portfolios like that coming out of the credit crisis because that was such a scary stock market started in what October 07 and went through March 09. And so I think people 
were gravitated toward more conservative portfolios coming out of the credit crisis, 2009 and post time horizon. And the 40 stock 61, those conservatively tilting balanced portfolios because interest rates were so low for so long. They were second wind. Like I said, they, yeah, they, their returns were on the low side. They still did beat inflation by, I don't know, percent or two or some time because inflation was also so low. Not anymore. But not anymore. But I also think the returns of those conservative balance portfolios won't be as low yeah. going forward agree, as they have were the last decade. Yeah. So I think they're still, they still could be positioned yep. to beat inflation and, yep. and do so at a relatively low yep. risk. However, conservative portfolios in 2022 weren't all that protected on the downside either yeah. because of what the bond market did last year with how rapid the spike in interest yeah. rates were. Either to go backwards a little bit or to catch up. So, but by the way, if you are retired, okay, so, sometimes you might be retired and not have to take some money out of your retirement portfolio. It's up to, what, 73 yeah. now in terms of having to take money out of your retirement mm-hmm. portfolio. Sometimes we'll suggest to folks who can, you know, for the next year or two, why don't you just put your 401k contribution into cash in your 401k contribution? And then, okay, or when it came to taking money out, you'd have a great big yeah. comfortable bucket that you can work out of. Or some people who are saving money outside of retirement plans, we'd just tell them to take this. It's If you're a year away from retirement and taking money or two, it's okay to put some of your money in a money market fund because we'd like you to have a really big cash stash, okay, from which a safe cash stash from which to draw money. So if you take an income, and by the way, one other thing about people who take an income portfolio, so think about this. If you're taking income out of your portfolio at a 5% rate, okay, let's see, what is that, how am I doing, what are you taking versus what are you making, okay? And so think about this. Short-term treasuries are now 4%. Okay, I hope that stays, but it probably won't. Okay, and treasury bonds are 4 or 5 if, Folks, if you're taking 7% from your portfolio and you have all bonds, th- there's a problem because you're taking more than it's making. And so when it comes to the income piece, for the vast majority of people that we send money to, part of the income is not just the dividends and interest that they've earned, but it's been growth in their part portfolio. Part of it is capital, Cause, yeah. Because yeah. it has to be yeah. sort of thing. So when you take an income from a portfolio, and we're going to get into that very specifically in a, in a minute or two when you after the break. When you take an income portfolio, ask yourself, what am I actually earning and what am I actually taking? And I guess my point is that many folks that we know are taking more than the actual income that's being produced in your portfolio. So you're consuming some of your capital and that's okay. Okay. As long as you don't run out, there's sort of people in their sixties and seventies and eighties aren't wired that way either. So there's some negative connotations that go along with that. But take a look at what you're taking for income, folks, and then ask how much do you have to earn to do that. And you might be surprised about how some of that works. Just kind of thing. You take an income. The only other thing that I would say uh, is that you have to be, I think you need at least a couple of years of income in the box someplace, okay, a, a cash stash someplace. Yeah. We call them buckets in our portfolios. Basically, if you're taking $1,000 a month out of your IRA, we th- and that's the only money that you have, and that's the only money that you're taking, we think it'd be a pretty good idea to have about $24,000 in cash in that IRA so you didn't have to worry about markets going down for the next couple of years. That's a, that we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. But yeah, t- t- taking money out of your portfolio 
you're more vulnerable to market downturns than if you're not. And that's just an additional risk yeah. from a retiree's point It's of interesting view. how markets change so quickly, too. It's great to have these cash positions in portfolios now. Yeah. Last year was great yeah. for people to have cash sure. in their portfolios, especially yeah. particularly for people that were taking money out or about to take money out. It helped with returns last yeah. year, people that had cash positions. Yeah. But it was it's just interesting because for so many years prior to that, having cash is a drag on your Cash is a drag on yeah. returns for several years, especially in the interest rate environment we had for the several years prior to last year. And people questioning why why do I have cash in my portfolio? It's yeah. earning nothing. And yeah. oh, my portfolio was up 15% yeah. last My other investments yeah. were up 15%. No. Cash is good when markets are going markets. down. Cash is bad when markets... Yeah, it's quickly. And see this... Well, yeah, but see, this is the point where you step away from the portfolio and look at your life. What do you need to do in your life? If you need to yeah. build cash, okay, to have money to take from it, it doesn't matter what the markets are doing. And that, people just, they just lose that. Okay, what do I do in my portfolio? What do you need to do? What do your circumstances dictate? Okay, mm -hmm. whenever we recommend a change in somebody's portfolio. It's not because we think we know what the markets are going to do, because we, no, we don't. It's because their circumstances require that they can be a little braver, a little more conservative, mm -hmm. uh, the other thing. So, folks, favorite answer in many professional businesses. It depends. We'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. You're listening to McNamara on Money. My co-host, sidekick, business partner, and darling daughter, Alyssa, is here this morning. And are we having fun or what here? Huh? Yeah. I love it when you do all the prep for the shows you and know, I can just show up. I actually have the time to do that these days. It's not <laughs> a bad thing. All right, so folks, newsflash. If you're retired and taking income from your portfolio, the next 30 minutes is your special half hour. No question about it. So... When you're taking money from your portfolio, you are more vulnerable to market downturns than not. Because if you're taking money from something that goes down, it ain't going back up as fast because it doesn't have as much body there to begin with. Tricky stuff, okay? So what are the things you should be thinking about or worrying about? And I'm going to do a blatant commercial for certified financial planners right now because everybody listening to this show should have a comprehensive written financial plan in place to guide them through the rest of their financial life. And they ought to look at this plan once in a while and update it, and they probably ought to follow it and check in on pretty good occasions to make sure things are pretty copacetic. Is anything guaranteed? Nope. If you're making good guesses with good information about your life for a whole long time, hey, who knows? Maybe you'll be okay. Anyway, so I, I hope that you have a financial plan in place and that you are drawing a sum of money from which is appropriate for your circumstances. And by the way, maybe you are taking more than you're making and you can comfortably afford to do that and use some of your investment capital to be okay because it is your capital. But n number one, hope you had a certified financial planner help you craft a certified 
financial plan and go from there. Anyway, so when you take an income and markets go down, let's see, I get the biggest chuckle out of this. We read the Financial Planning Association and all the financial planning news, and it's great. There's some very bright people in this business, and one of the easiest ways to deal with down markets is to shrink the amount of income you're taking out from your portfolio while markets are down so that you can preserve your investment capital. How many people do we know could do can or wish to do that? Not very many. Three? I have one client that could literally <laughs> eliminate what they took yeah. out. Probably more than one, yeah. but I can think of one right yeah. now. Yeah. That, could, that last year yeah. just said, no, I'm good. Yeah. I don't need to take it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, not very many people. Yeah. Yeah. Sensible and perhaps necessary, but you might not know it. Thing is to maybe you should take a little less income if you can. Wait a minute. They're making me take X amount of money out of my 401k because I'm over 73 and it's a required minimum distribution. Just because you take it doesn't mean you have to spend it. But by the way, mm. shrinking your uh, newsflash to the world, shrinking your monthly check while you're retired is not highly in favor. <laughs> it's got to be a pretty low percentage in the world. So if you yeah. can do that, go for it. But even we don't know a lot of people who can or will do that. Mostly right? just people with very sizable yeah, yeah, cash positions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, so that probably doesn't work for most yeah. people. Okay, so. Although with people not traveling so much, yeah. still not maybe reverting back to the same level of travel, it yeah. seems to me that retirees, some retirees haven't really reverted back to travel yeah, at the yeah. same pace. Yeah, and from the COVID kind of world. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. From, yeah. And that's a sizable <clears throat> amount of expenditures yeah. for some retirees. Yeah, and by the way, if you're nervous about that and if you haven't made other arrangements and the thought of shrinking your income is like maybe the only thing that's going to save your bacon for the rest of your life, okay, maybe you ought to get your expenses together, take a look at your budget, and maybe you ought to go visit a financial planner and see what the math looks like given the circumstances. People generally spend what shows up in the checkbook, and maybe you could reduce some of that and not miss it, and you wouldn't even know about it sort of thing. I don't know. Okay, but if, I guess that's a way of saying if you didn't have a comprehensive financial plan in place, and the only thing you can do is maybe shrink your income, and if you don't, and you think you're going to be in trouble if you didn't shrink it, maybe you want to go get one and see how it looks and just go from there but but might not be as scary as you think when we sit, <laughs> when we sit down and talk with people in their in a planning session about their budgets okay what do they miss by five or ten percent at least on average in terms oh God, of the money more they, than that and, usually we work with motivated 20%? people some people can miss on the expenses by five ten amounts. fifteen twenty percent yeah okay that's like a normal thing so folks there are if if the only solution is to cut it thrilled about it take a look at your expenses it you might be surprised where some of that money goes because and by the way you have a lot of company if that's the case so don't feel badly about that yeah, yeah. Right, so, i feel like you could you yeah. go the other way with that yeah. conversation too i can think of someone who wanted to start taking income last year but was very nervous to do it given the market environment. This particular person (coughs) only wanted to take a pretty small percentage of the value of their portfolio that their portfolio actually could generate itself with dividends and interest anyway. And I was trying to help her understand it's actually with these numbers, it's okay for you to take this income. This particular person didn't want to, was nervous and all that, and will be likely a little bit better off for not having done that. But I think she could have afforded it. Yeah, so Mr. Client, you're really only taking 2% out of your portfolio. You could probably make that work. Or 
Yeah, this one was like one, it was like one yeah. percent. Yeah. And, and so, I'm so trying that's, to explain, okay. You're, you're, you're probably not financially screwed to <laughs> right. do that. It allows basically. you to like yeah, right. enjoy oh, oh, your life. But this is okay. But, oh, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Client, you're currently yeah. taking 10% of your money out anyway. Maybe you got a different situation than the person that's taking one or two percent. Right. Everything depends. The real macroeconomic point here is that what you do in your portfolio has to relate to what you do in your life. That's just. Folks, they're so connected, and that's why it all depends. You know, what you mm-hmm. do with your portfolio is not making guesses about where markets are going. It's what you need to do with your money, and hopefully that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so many people don't they don't make that connection. It's really kind of weird. Anyway, so... I, also, I, build a sizable portfolio so yeah. that if you could live off of 1% of yeah. it, you're yeah. in a pretty good, yeah. low-stress Cruise position control, later in life. basically. <laughs> sure. Cruise control. Yeah. All right, so an, another way that in a down market that you might squeeze a few more bucks out of your income is maybe you don't have your tax withholding, okay, on the money that's coming out of your portfolio. Oh, yeah. if, if you're taking $2,000 a month from your retirement plan and withholding X amount of taxes, if every if that's your only income plus Social Security, if every year you get a 5000 if you get a $4,000 tax refund, maybe you could take out less taxes and have that income <laughs> and shrink the income or get yeah. more income with the same thing. So <laughs> I recommend that a lot. Nobody ever wants to lower the tax withholding because yeah. they love that refund. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Love but, that refund. But if you're feeling poor month to month, maybe you didn't, maybe, yeah. you, maybe the time passed when you could have spent the <laughs> refund on fun. I, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. So, sometimes you can gain a few bucks or deal with a down market by taking less taxes and making that work. Just a possibility given the circumstances. Okay, another hopefully opportunity that people have, and and this depends on where you have other money and how much, okay? So uh, a little quick little primer here. So everybody should have some, a big pile of cash, emergency reserves. That number should be some number and whatever it is, 25,000, 50,000, whatever it is, you never touch that money. You just don't count that. That's emergency. If you have adequate emergency reserves, and you have some other investments that are not in retirement plans, maybe you can shift the load temporarily from the retirement plan money to some other places and jigger it around to make it work with things. So if you have multiple accounts or multiple potential sources of it, maybe, let's see, that was my my world world cruise vacation fund that I hope to do with the kids in 10 years. But if, you, if you're 85 now and need the money, maybe it's okay to take some money out of it. So p- folks may have some other funds that they could kind of rejigger around or rebalance or do whatever you yeah. uh, to make it work. Hopefully you have some choices, m- multiple chess pieces on the board or make it easier when it comes to income, like, given the circumstances. So what else? Okay. Yeah. Let's see here. The emergency reserves thing. For whatever this is worth, folks, you need that bucket of emergency reserves that you hopefully touch. It's that don't touch. It's just peace of mind money, whatever. We have some pretty, we have a, a bunch of wonderful clients, but a lot of them have just money in retirement plans and no money help, help other place else other than the emergency reserves. And it, it's kind of interesting. I want to buy a car. Well, if you're going to buy a $50,000 car, you're going to take out $70,000 from your IRA to go buy a $50,000 car. Thing. So it would be nice, if it's possible in people's lives, to have money in addition to retirement plans yeah. out there because it's just another chess piece on the table, yeah. okay, when it comes to the retirement thing. I, if that's possible, it, 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 I, I don't meet as many people because I don't take on very many new clients, but m- most people, a lot of people don't know that you can open up an account on your own and invest 
like the husband and wife adjudicator. Do you find, you probably don't find uh, that with the, the younger, but, but a, a lot of folks. In, no, yeah, some people don't really know that. Yeah, don't. Oh, you mean I could invest in stocks and bonds with my own yeah. money and not have to tell? The yeah, that, that's the marketing program from the banks, I guess. But anyway, bottom line is that I call that money in the middle. It ain't in a retirement plan specifically. It might have been for retirement. It's not your emergency reserves. Yeah, sure, it's nice to have sometimes, given the circumstances. So yeah, maybe, it starts to become more appropriate, I think, later in life. Yeah. I, it's Start, start to introduce that topic yeah. more often. Yep. For yep. the young 20s and 30s, it's build your cash, yeah. get into your piece of real estate, put as much as you can in your 401k, yeah. and then they have start having kids, and then it's okay, college money, 529s, and then it's, I just find it's not very, unless there's no <clears throat> kid, I don't really introduce that topic until later yeah. in life, that non-retirement account. Yep. But And I think for many people- Yeah, after you it, got your basics covered, yeah. basically, right. Yeah. I do think for for many people, that non-retirement account will materialize in the form of an inheritance. Yeah. Okay. And for yep. people that are lucky enough to inherit some money from their parents, that comes into people's lives mm-hmm. times naturally yep. later, yep. which is good. Yep. But yeah, that is, it's a good account to have. I don't necessarily think people need to worry about starting that very young. Yeah. So yep. There's a lot of other things that should happen before that account gets started. Yeah. Line up your worries and prioritize them, right? Yeah. yeah the, a dangerous thing to do is people have the emergency reserves account and if for whatever reason if you tap that for any reason other than emergency reserves that's probably a danger sign it could be fatal if if the amount of income that you're taking from retirement in a bear market i don't know if you take less and take some if there's room to take some money from emergency reserves that's a scary place to do if somebody has a hundred thousand dollars worth of emergency reserves and their expenses over the course of a year are thirty thousand maybe it's okay to take some money from there to, mm-hmm. to change but maybe not if that's all you got to start to tap emergency reserves if you can't replace them somewhere down the line that gets scary yeah yeah so folks going this applies to anybody anywhere anytime going to the emergency reserves for some use other than it's not really an emergency is a big red flag for anybody out there. And that means you need to think about how much you should have and what's that real number given the circumstances. But yeah. it's, that, that's not an option a lot of people would have anyway, I would think. Yeah, if your cash on hand exceeds your emergency reserves number, then spend it. You use that for income. But what is that? And how does that work? That depends on people and their circumstances. And by the way, if you going through a bear market Okay, and you're taking funds and you don't have much of an emergency reserves, you might have a problem given this, something that hopefully yeah. you could have been planned for, but maybe you'll have to do some expense reduction whether you like it or not given the circumstances. Ho- hopefully you planned for the income stage of your life. And this is all new territory. We, we've never really... people. People didn't have retirement plans till nine. So didn't have social security till nineteen thirty-five. We didn't yeah. have four hundred and one k plans till nineteen seventies or something. Yeah. So this is uh, th- there's now a whole bunch of people who are actually taking money from their investments for the last ten or fifteen years, and that's still brand new territory in the world here. We see articles about that in the financial planning money ma- and magazines all the time about taking income. Seriously, yeah. And I do think that will change in the coming years too. And remains to be seen what will happen with Social Security, and yeah. will that will people have the same level of income from Social Security in twenty, thirty, forty years as they do now? Yeah. Will people be able to rely on it the way that they do now, yeah. or will they have to rely on 
their income from their portfolio more heavily, which is why I like to adjust upward retirement contributions closer to 15% from yep. the old yep. rule of thumb, oh, oh, 10. Yeah. Oh, 10's barely minimum. Um, that's yeah, the, yeah. F- 15 is, I think, a more comfortable target for yep. retirement plan contributions now, yep. given yep. worries about Social Security and things like that. I lost my train of thought. What were you talking about before that? Oh, just I- income planning is an entire new science oh. in the world. And yeah. Everybody's got a different and, take on it. And I also think it will change over the year, over several years, as Roth IRAs and Roth 401k balances become a larger percentage of someone's portfolio in retirement. Right now, Roth accounts are a relatively small percentage of someone's portfolio because of the income limitation limitations on who can contribute to Roths and they weren't as common in 401ks and retirement plans 10, 20 years ago as they are now. And now with the new legislation opening up opportunities for Roth simples and Roth SEPs and more forced contributions for Roth catch-up contributions and things like that with the new changes in legislation, I think that Roths will become a more substantial part of someone's (laughs) portfolio later, which I do think is a good thing, but will change income planning down the road, I think, actually in a good way. Yeah. I was surprised about all the Roth legislation this past year as part of Secure Secure Act 2.0. I thought... I love Roths. I think they're wonderful. I thought maybe over time legislators would get rid of them, but they're, they've made them more available. Yeah, but they still have the... Okay, here, here, no, here's my take on that. I think they're great planning tools. I think I think they're not as appropriate for as many people who perhaps own them. Correct, yeah. Okay, I think uh, that's true. And the thing that bothers me is that the people who could probably use a Roth, most of them can't qualify to to buy a Roth sort of a thing. Here's a tax. Think about it this way, folks. When do I contribute to Roth? If you were in the 15% tax, I'm making this up, folks, to make a point. If you're currently in the 15% tax bracket and you retired and you're in the 30% tax bracket, I know that's not, but just bear with the math. So do I choose a Roth or a regular IRA? You choose a Roth. Right. Because you're, if you're avoiding taxes, if you're paying taxes at 15%, and later on in life, avoiding them at 30%, that's a heck of a deal. Yeah. How many people have a lower tax bracket in retirement that would make the Roth appropriate now? You mean a higher tax bracket Not very many if there's change in tax legislation. Unless, and you never know. You never know. Okay, so theoretically, if your tax bracket's going down in retirement and you're pretty sure about that, it's not as much sense to buy a Roth yeah. as to buy a regular and have the deduction. Right. Okay, flip that on the other side. Okay, we have a few people, okay, who are retired whose tax brackets didn't change. Yeah. If you, you know, if that was going to be the case, I personally sit in that situation. Yeah. I started doing a Roth a bunch of years ago right. because I, I knew that it's even. And the compounding earnings yeah, will if, you, if you're you'll paying, be better off. That's yeah. right. If you're paying taxes at 35 and avoiding them at 35, but it's tax-free down the line, that's, yeah. it, that, that's a little bit better than a wash. So my point is that... For the people who could probably benefit most from Roth IRAs, they're legislated against buying them. And for the people who can't afford them, most of them don't need them. I think that's stupid. That's just the way it is from a government point of view. They will be more available now ongoing for higher income earners inside of retirement plans, which don't have the eligibility restrictions. Yeah, so there's some stages there. There's some benefits. Yeah. Some more availability. I think, let's see, we just do some odds and ends here for the next minute. Folks,
folks, there's a if there's one thing you want to do a little research for after this show to make my point about the yo-yo and the escalator, I have a very graphic chart for you to take a peek at. It's called Market Rebounds Outlasted Declines. And it's by the Putnam Corporation in Boston, some wonderful folks. And this is a chart that they have updated every year, like forever. It goes back to, what's it, how far does that go back here? It goes back... To the 30s, maybe? To 19... Yeah, I think it goes back to the 30s. But anyway, no, it goes back to... The 1960s. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's a really long time, but it's a beautiful chart. (coughs) And what it does is it shows the ups and the downs of the United States stock market. Okay, literally for at least 70 or 75 years. Okay, and then the cool part about it is that it's colored. Okay, anytime yeah, there's a I bad just market, on my computer. Yep. okay, when the p- picture picture the uh, the escalator and the yo-yo. Okay, you have bumps and bruises, but every time it goes down, it comes back up higher. Yada yada yada. And this is a perfect graphic. Every time there's a down market, there's a red. Hmm. You can see it. Every time there's an up market where you got back to the equal, there's a green, and then there's a whole bunch of gray where the market kept going and made a whole lot of money. This is, folks, the markets, the financial markets that invest in stocks go higher over time, okay? And the the reason they do that is, is only one, the companies that you own in your portfolio are generally making more money every year, and if a company makes more money every year, newsflash, it becomes more valuable, okay? Folks, this is like a big point that I think we need to make here, okay? The stock market and what goes on every day is meaningless for for virtually all investors in the world who aren't stock traders and crazy people, okay? Uh, The stock market is just a bunch of humans and institutions making some short-term guesses about what's going to happen in the world, and there's no sense to it, and it's unpredictable, okay? Which is just the way it is, okay? And the focus is always short-term, okay? And and so it's, the stock market is speculation. It's gambling. I'm sorry. Let's see. I'm going to sell my my soft stock because I think Microsoft's going to be bad for the next few years. Bought that, think it's going to be good. Someone's going to be right. Okay. Folks, if you own a bunch of good companies in your portfolio, and by the way, you can own the 500 biggest. We're not unique. We use index portfolios to represent stock holdings. And between large com- between international U.S. and emerging markets, we've got four or 5,000 stocks that people own in our diversified portfolio. We're not unique, folks. This is not a whatever. But if you own four or 5,000 companies all over the planet, Okay, and you close your eyes for the next forty or fifty years. This prob- or ten or fifteen at the yeah. minimum, a pretty good some chance. Some of them are going to make some money. Yeah, most of those companies will survive. Some will go away. That's why I have a lot. Some will get created, sort of a thing. But if you own a bunch of quality companies, okay, and look at it that way, okay, it's it makes a lot more sense and it's a lot more comfortable. Every once in a while, when somebody gets nervous, my clients pretty much don't do that anymore. I'd send them a list of the five hundred companies in the S and P five hundred and say, hey. You own all these. Just to put a face on the fact that we're down 25% this year. Do you think the 25% of these companies are out of business because we're down? Yeah. But if you inv- if you look at, okay, investing as owning companies, okay, okay, and if you own a bunch of companies over a long time, and if you bought the whole stock market, which is basically what you can do these days, it's a pretty good bet. 
Okay, been a pretty good bet for a long time. It comes with some really exciting times, okay, at mm. times along the way, but it's a lot easier to be an investor in companies for the long term than it is to be making guesses about what's going to happen with Microsoft next week or who, who knows. And that's, but that sounds too simple, right? That's just how, can't be that hard, right? I don't know. <laughs> I was just trying to think how many companies I could name in the S and P. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, <laughs> how many that, I could. That, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, we I don't think I could even we, name our clients 40. Are, own a piece of the whole yeah. stock market, and they own the whole stock market for a piece of their portfolio. Yeah, this is not like new folks. This is pretty standard stuff. Hey, if you own basically the American economy, you're probably going to be okay. And the alternative is probably not something you want to think about anyway, given the circumstances. Yeah. And if you think about it. If you if you view your stocks as companies and actually look at what they are once in a while, how long does it take to grow a company? A couple of weeks. Why why are you checking your why are you checking your statement? Yeah. As a probably a closing comment here, I think the worst thing that the investment authorities ever did is create monthly statements to send to investors. You need to know where your money's doing. How you know? So every month, clients see what's going on in their investments. We just got through telling you. Short term is random, unpredictable, yeah. stupid. Long term, they always go up. If you looked at your 1231-90 statement versus your 1231-2022 statement, if you add the stock market, you're probably up a bit given those circumstances. And now it's not even monthly; it's yeah. daily. Yeah. People yeah. Log- yeah. logging yeah. in daily. How, how, how do you, yeah. you build patience? Okay, in long-term investors, yeah. if you can see your prices every day or every month and hear about yeah. news and this, that, and the other thing, that's it's just a tough thing to do, folks. Okay, so I don't mean to sound overly simplistic, but if you had a pretty diversified portfolio, some stocks and some bonds mixed in there to cut down the excitement and your returns, by the way, you'd probably be okay if you hung on to them long enough. And yeah. that's, that, that, that doesn't make for great radio, doesn't make for great news or podcasts, but that's how it works. Any closing thoughts, my daughter? Check out our podcast. Podcast. Okay. Search your podcatcher for McNamara on money. There, there, there you go. There you go. We take all of our shows and we turn them actually, our shows are two hours yeah. long, so we turn them into two yeah. one-hour podcasts, yeah. which yeah. are still long, but yeah. yeah, we have actually pretty good listenership on there, so. No kidding. That's, we do. That's good to Globally, know. actually. We like all randomly right. have all these listeners Worldwide, in baby. Korea and Japan. Or no something. kidding. Yeah. Awesome. It's, if it sounds... We're a global sim- phenomenon. Yeah. Folks, Dad. if it sounds simple and not too sexy, I'm sorry, it is. <laughs> take some time and you have to have some faith. All righty. Yeah. Hey, how much fun has this been, huh? Have a good weekend, All everybody. All right, folks. Have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye.